Hey guys, Mike here. Hey, on this episode of Mountain and Marsh, Blaine Evans calls in with Jut and Gunning decoys. Blaine does something a little bit different with Jut and Gunning decoys than most decoy guys do. Blaine doesn't necessarily carve the decoys. Blaine actually takes old decoys like Herder 72s and such and then repaints them, burlaps them and repaints them to make them like new uh, makes them uh, nice and pretty, ready for your spread. They're gunning decoys. Uh, this is a really cool podcast because it's a little bit different from what the majority of decoy guys are doing. Uh, if you enjoy waterfowl hunting or you in, just enjoy the waterfowl heritage, this is a great podcast. Hope you guys enjoy. Hey, guys, what's up? It's Mike with Mountain and Marsh. Hey, my wife and I recently started a business, and that business is called junk clear llc my wife and i decided we were going to start a demolition and junk removal business now this isn't your typical junk removal business we will come get your couch but i'll also tear down your fucking house okay because i know how to do that shit um we have the ability to do full residential cleanouts real estate foreclosures, pre-listings, rental properties, storage units. Uh, we can do it all like that. So we have the ability to do small stuff, big stuff, uh, large demos, bring in a bunch of dumpster cans and clear everything out of there for you. Um, we can do all that work, guys. We, um, we also are working with another business um, and we are going to be offering uh, remodeling and renovation and remediation services. So we'll be able to demo these properties and put them back together uh, for people. So just a little something uh, for everybody to know, we have a new business. We've been working our ass off on it. If you need any junk removed, if you need anything dem demoed, uh, hit me up, let me know. Give me a shout at 410-258-1815. Or go to junkclearpa.com or check us out on social media. Thanks, guys. Hey, guys. Everybody who knows knows that I have been running a Swamp Stick extendable pole all year this year. Um, from running my spinning wing decoys at five feet tall to uh, hanging my gear, my gun, my blind bag, um, the accessories I use like my cell phone grip for manipulating the uh, the cell phone and getting some film, um, using it as a walking pole. I mean, using it to hang blind mesh on banks. Um, I've used this thing a bunch this year. I've had a blast trying to uh, figure everything out. And man, I would not go back now. I love it. I've even used it deer hunting with my bow. I've hung my bow from it in standing cornfields and sat on a bucket and hunted that way too. So look guys, if you would like one of these, or if you want to figure them out, if you want to see if it's something you'd like, check out my YouTube page, look up swamp stick. I got uh, a review on there and, um, I really love it guys. Use code M a M P 10 at checkout, get 10% off. These things are cheap compared to the competitors. Uh, 
great product, man. Really great product, and I love it. I thank Sean for reaching out and uh, and get me one of those because it has been a game changer for me this year. Uh, guys, again, MAMP10 at checkout. Get you 10% off. Thanks. Hey everybody, Mike here. I'm here with Blaine Evans with Jut and Gunning Decoys. Blaine, can you uh, tell everybody a little bit of an intro, kind of your name, where you're from, and what you do? Man, yeah, like you're saying, my name's Blaine Evans. Um, I am actually out here in central Oklahoma, and what we end up really doing is um, restoring old herder foam decoys and other old brands of foam decoys and do like a custom gunning style paint job on them. So, yeah, for sure. Um, before we hop into the decoys, I want to talk a little bit about your outdoor background and how you got into the outdoors. And I don't know if you fish or not, but hunting and fishing and, and whatever, like how, what led you as a child and then up to this point, you know, doing what you do? Well, um, I actually started out hunting and fishing, mainly fishing because my my dad's side of the family were big hunters and fish for me. And when we were younger kids, I mean, we started going um, trout fishing. We're actually originally from Colorado. And so we'd go up in the mountains, go do some trout fishing on inner base and um, bobbers with flies. And we did all that kind of stuff. Um, we didn't really, I didn't get to start hunting until a little bit, until my early teens because my dad and his brothers would go out, but they're all going out antelope and big game hunting up there. Um, my dad was a pretty hardcore duck hunter. Um, I always like to tell people a joke about it because he had Chesapeake Bay Retrievers. And I always tell him I've had a Chesapeake by my side since the day I was born. Um, and that's still true to this day. So, but yeah, about the time I was early teens, we were in Boy Scouts and I took a hunter safety course. And so we went out duck hunting that first time and it was pretty interesting trip. We went out on Christmas Eve, not Christmas Eve, sorry, New Year's Day that year. And um, we went out to a place called Bonnie Reservoir in eastern Colorado, which unfortunately is no longer there. But everything was frozen except for like this 20-foot hole right where the river came into the reservoir. And it was cold, foggy. We had one mallard hen fly in and completely missed it. But... I've been hooked on, especially the waterfowl, ever since. And so we just, growing up at that point on, it was anytime we got a chance to go duck hunting, I would go, which where we were at in Colorado, 
um, since Colorado Springs area, you had about a two and a half, two to two and a half hour drive to even go duck hunting. So it was pretty interesting growing up doing that. But then as you got, as I got older, we did a little bit more than, um, early twenties, things kind of got too busy and I didn't get to really do it much. Then I got back into it about the time I turned 23. And for some reason, um, that first, when I was 23, I was actually living in Oklahoma for the first time. And I just got completely eaten up with it again. And it's something that that's all I could ever do, think and talk about. And to this point, um, with painting decoys and doing all that stuff, we were always touching up decoys when I was a kid, repainting them. If I didn't like color schemes, I got to the point where I would change the color schemes on old decoys and all that stuff. Just an old plastic ones we'd have sitting in the garage. And so that kind of got me to where I enjoy painting decoys and then getting into the restoration of the old herders and painting up foam decoys um, kind of started off from that. So, yeah, that's a, that's a really cool backstory because uh, hunting in, like you said, you had to drive two and a half hours. I notice a lot of guys who have to hunt public land especially but out in that region of the u.s um, a lot of guys talk about having to travel um, and even though i am from maryland i'm and i live in gettysburg pennsylvania but i'm just above the line um, and it's funny because i travel two hours to go hunt the iconic haver de grace but i hunt it i hunt it all the time during hunting season and um, but I can hunt right around me. I mean, I can drive 10 minutes and, and go shoot birds. And so, um, it's a lot of guys from out there that I connect with tell me that they, they got to put the miles on to, you know, hunt birds and kill birds. And the hunting's good when the hunting's hot, but it just takes a lot of travel around, out that way. Oh yeah. It's, um, crazy just to travel. Like growing up is we have, because we had to drive that far. So it was a guy got to the point. It was like, uh, my mom was like, you guys can go, but you go one weekend and we got to go like one weekend a month, maybe just because you have to go get hotel rooms and all that stuff. And, um, it's just, there's places around Colorado Springs, maybe within an hour, but, um, Colorado Springs is a heavy military area. So then you have all the military guys who are trying to get off for the day just to go out there. So they got hunted heavily. And then in Colorado, you always have to deal with drought. So you might have a place that has water one year, the next year is just bone dry. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you had said that that reservoir is gone. Whatever happened to that? Man. So back about 2012, there were some water right disputes with um, Kansas over this Bonnie Reservoir. It was on the South Republican River, which was tied into the South flat river and they just um like i said there were water rights issues and they tried for years to keep it open but the court system finally failed the area and i didn't say fail but it felt like it failed the system because they had to drain that reservoir and it used to hold a quarter million birds every winter um you could be walking back along the north shore of that if you're hunting it and the birds going out to feed would 
would deafen you because there were so many flying out through there to go feed at night. It was just incredible to see. Yeah, it seems that um, I don't want to get off on too much of a tirade, but it seems like for us around here, I don't know about your area because I know it still gets pretty pretty dang cold out that way. But for us around here, people people talk about uh, like that you know the nineteen thirties and the nineteen fifties and the nineteen sixties and seventies and it being just brutal cold. The Chesapeake actually being brackish or saltwater and actually freezing. Uh, Sometimes, like the Bay Bridge on the Chesapeake, actually there's old pictures of it frozen over, people ice skating underneath the bridge. And that area now, um, some of the inlets and things freeze, but it just doesn't get that cold anymore. And so nowadays, the bird, it's different. It's not the way that it was. And I don't want to say in my time, I'm 30 years old, but, you know, maybe in the 1980s, you know, was like the 1990s. They were the last times where there were these just giant cold fronts all the time. Uh, this year, we only got one. You guys got hammered during that one. That was right before Christmas. But we, oh, yeah. we got, that was the, that was the couple of the best hunts I had this year were right was Christmas Eve through that next week uh, because of what you guys got out west. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so like here, we've been definitely dealing with not getting as cold. Um, I remember getting, the first time I lived in Oklahoma was from 03 to 06. And I actually remember getting a couple snowstorms and a couple pushes and actually having stuff freeze up in like November. But since I've been back out here in Oklahoma since 2012, we'll get some stuff and we'll get some cold snaps. But it's definitely like the last three or four years, it's definitely not been that cold here. And um, we might get like one snow and it might be two or three inches, maybe. <clears throat> but, and we have one hard freeze, it seems like. And like that one you're talking about just before Christmas, we had that happen to us. And we never could get out because everything we had was frozen solid. Um, and unfortunately I don't have any fields I could easily get onto at that time because most of the guys who had that access to that, they were out of town or had to work. <laughs> but yeah, I, I remember seeing somebody sent me a video of a lake with a bridge over it or a river with a bridge over it out in Oklahoma. And like the bridge was swinging around, there was ice hanging off of it. And that was the, that was a day before we went out on the kayaks and uh, we limited out on blues and cans that morning, me and one other guy. But it was like we knew it was coming, and we're like, oh, here. And it we we actually scouted. I scouted the night before. I might on a local lake here. It's not even a great lake to hunt um, because it's so close to the bay, and the birds just bypass it most of the time. And I scouted the night before, nothing. A few, a couple birds, like a little bit, and then the very next morning we my buddy's like are we still gonna go it's gonna be disgusting 20 20 to 40 mile per hour wind gusts we're gonna be on kayaks it's gonna be zero degrees i was like uh you're right we're going and we went out there and sure enough overnight bluebills showed up we had bluebills landing in the decoys while we were setting decoys up in the dark so it was just one of those days you know you knew it was coming because i had gotten the videos from oklahoma and was like oh baby they, they're gonna be here so Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, yeah, those days are always the funnest, man. I talked to some guys who could get out during that, during that cold snap 
and they were just hammering the birds. Um, and what's crazy is, so this last season here in Oklahoma, central and western Oklahoma were not getting the ducks, really, but eastern Oklahoma was hammering them. And then everybody through Kansas was, too. Um, but they were just flying over. We've been in a drought out here, so we didn't have as much vegetation in the fields or crops. And um, water was not scarce. Most of the reservoirs still had pretty decent amount, but ponds were just pretty much gone. So, all right, well, let's hop into the decoys a little bit. Cause I, um, I do not carve decoys, but I do a whole lot of sanding down and repainting old beat up decoys to use as my diver spread. And I also just being from this area, this area is, you know, Chesapeake Bay. It's pretty, pretty steeped in a decoy tradition. We spent a lot of time down Chincoteague at my parents' place. And so that, you know, there's a lot of, of, decoy carving heritage where i'm from um so how did you get into like how did you first start making these decoys i know you said that you had kind of hand painted your own old plastic decoys at one time but what led you into doing it you know the way you do now so about 2015 i was on a facebook group with this guy his name was don myers and unfortunately he passed away a couple years back but he was making, he was buying old herders and um, burlapping them and then repainting them. And he'd do that or he bought, there's a company out of, uh, I think it's Port Smith, Ohio called Foul Fullers. And they make a foam decoy body too. Yeah. And I think they have the old thing for a company called Ristel Decoys, which they, they're more famous for the coating they make where they would put a um, wood glue down with a crushed walnut on it. Yeah, Ru- so, Russell coating. Yeah, yeah. So, well, Don um, was into the burlapping, and him and he started talking back and forth. He was out of Dallas, and he got me interested in it. So, Fowlers had a fill. So, I bought up three dozen of their bodies and went through and burlapped them. And um, at the time, it was just me and my wife, and we had a fun time doing it, painting it. Um, she's kind of an artist, so she would critique me or take the decoy and fix something that she didn't like. So it was pretty entertaining and so we just kept doing that picking up a few here and there finding some old herders and i would redo them and go through and do that and so about um 2018 um like i said i'm a member of the oklahoma city delta waterfowl out here and i was noticing our kids raffle table was kind of like we didn't we had some stuff on there but i'm like well we can do better than this for the kids and i was like you know what I guarantee there is nobody out there handing these kids a bunch of old or custom painted decoys um, and just giving it to them because, you know, you got to, everybody will donate decoys for raffles and make money off that kind of stuff. So I started making it for the kids and we did that for three out of the four years because of COVID, <laughs> but um, they just seem to love it and I enjoy doing it. So, and um, kind of, like I said, just, because of that stuff, I was when I really got into it and just painting them all and something about hunting over um, painted decoys that you did. And then on top of it with the foam stuff, man, they can take some shots that you can't get away with with plastic. So, and then I know their foam decoys are big with diver hunters because of those divers coming in so low and 
decoys catching pellets all the time. Yeah, I mean, out here when we do like layout hunting or uh, it it doesn't matter which. My spread is mostly old plastic decoys. We have some newer stuff, but uh, the guys that I hunt with out of Haver to Grace a lot, those guys run, they either use the one guy's grandfather's old wooden decoys or he's using foam body decoys that that they buy they paint themselves they wrestle coat them and uh, or burlap whatever and they're just they're tough as nails even the wood ones the wood ones are heavy oh my gosh you wouldn't want to have to carry them in if you had to carry them into a spot but uh they are tough as nails those things have been around forever and uh with diver hunting especially if there's some chop out there on the bay it makes one heck of a difference to have a foam decoy that's for sure Oh yeah, and um, like um, puddle guys don't use them as much because they do some hiking in. But man, like I found it with if you're taking kids out and stuff that they last so much longer than the plastic ones. Um, because I my my little brother's actually got a plastic decoy in his at our parents' house that I made him keep after he peppered it shooting a blue wing one year. I was like, nope, that's your trophy. You keep that thing. Yeah, I've had a lot of decoys get peppered over the years. I got a few you can still shake, but they still float. So we keep, you can shake it in here, but we still we still keep them around because they still float. Um, so when did this kind of turn into what it is now where, you know, it's kind of a side business, you know, where you're making all these decoys for people? Well, so about the same time, like you said, when we started doing the decoys for the kids table, there were some older guys in the committee and in the community who were like, saw my paintings, like, man, I would love to have you refinish some of my old herders. And that's where it kind of started was just redoing those for some of the guys I knew around. And then um, I was posting some pictures and stuff and people were like, man, those are cool. And they'd like to get some. And I mean, I'm always been up front. Like most of the time, these are restored herders just because, you know, you can, used to be able to find them pretty easily trying to get them a little bit harder now but that's where it kind of started was just guys wanting to get their old decoys back out and you know you go to garage shows and you find them here and there and um like i hunt with a couple dozen of old herders that i have myself all the time so yeah the 72 herders have became at least in my area when you you go on facebook you go in a marketplace you get craigslist it they've become something I don't know when it switched, but they've become something that doesn't matter really what shape they're in because of what they are and how sought after they are now. For some reason, they they go for a good bit of money now. People really do like the herders, set, you know, body style and and the the strength of them and the, the dexterity. Oh yeah, yeah, we're kind of the same way out here. Um, you know, you guys probably run into them a little bit more out there because you got more of a population. But out here, it's been alpine. I don't know, about once every two or three years, I can actually find a good amount of them. But it's usually guys are wanting, they've got six and they want a hundred bucks for the six. And you're like, oh, I really don't want to spend that much money on them. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. That's, that's what turned me into. And what we've tried to teach some of the younger, like the, the YHEC, the local YHEC, we're going to uh, 
hang out with them here soon one weeknight. And there's a local gun club that has the Youth Hunter Education Club, or I think it's what YHEC stands for. But those guys, I've been I've been around them for a while, and we're gonna we had all these decoys that they aren't the prettiest decoys that I paint up, but they're they're pretty nice, and and they work. They work for sure for divers. And we've even killed puddles over them uh, from time to time. And, um, you know, I'll do all these decoys and guys will will complain about spending however much money on six foam-filled Higdon battleships now. And I'm like, hey, man, um, I know those avian X's look sweet, but check out these uh, these decoys I got for like $20 off Marketplace for a dozen, and I repainted them into bluebills, and we killed a limit last week. So that's all, that's always kind of cool. Oh, yeah, man. That's always fun. And yeah, it, it is crazy because I, out here, man, I run into guys who, excuse me, sorry, they change out their decoys every couple of years, and they're spending thousands of dollars on ducks and geese because geese is still pretty big out here and i'm like man how do you guys even come up with that type of money <laughs> i feel the same way i'm i always wonder i'm like does does your wife know how much you spent on this stuff because because mine would get mad at me if i spent that much money at a clip you know out here when i first started waterfowl hunting uh we goose hunted in fields and I had a bunch of beat up old decoys. That's how I got started. Uh, the only thing I purchased that was of any value was my layout blind. Everything else was, I, I went as cheap as I could. And uh, we just hunted farm fields and stuff around reservoirs and quarries around here. And I had buddies when Avian X's came out. I, I can't remember what the brand was. It was Bigfoot, the B2s. And they all had B2s. And then uh, about four or five years later avian x comes out with the square the square base and they're like oh but it won't blow over in the wind oh and it won't and then all of a sudden here they are with you know enclosed trailers full of these decoys i'm like man i you know i just can't fathom spending that much to to hunt waterfowl and now to this day we we have killed i know it's over water but i have old repainted goose decoys as well and that's what my goose rig is and um we'll shoot limits of geese and we're Atlantic zone. So in the wintertime, it's either one or two per, uh, but we'll shoot limits of geese, two or three guys. And I'll watch guys with just because I'm in the right spot. And I'll watch guys with 80 to a hundred, you know, tangle free floaters, not touch a bird all day. So it's, <laughs> you know, it's just one of those things, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. Like I run a, half a dozen geese with my um ducks all the time when i'm out duck hunting and there's actually um some repainted geese decoys i got from a guy up um northeast oklahoma and i they do great i had their i found some that were kind of like a flat bottom so they're a little bit lighter they don't have a keel but the cool thing about those is i have three of them have these old herder heads that my dad got back in the 80s uh, the bodies that he had were just shot, but the heads were still in good shape for some reason. I have, I probably have the same decoys because I have four flat bottom decoys and I put clear line on them and we hunt with a little bit of weight on them. And those things, if you put them in two foot of water, eight foot of water, doesn't matter. If the wind blows any more than three miles per hour, 
my spread has motion and uh, the keel decoys won't move. And so that yeah. I, I love those things. That's what we take a lot because we also kayak hunt a lot. And so those things are nice and light. They move in the wind. They're nice and flat. They fit in the kayak. Great, great decoys. Oh, yeah. Yeah, my main dust spread is um, Herder 72 Suck Dust. Some old ones that I had got year, or few years back. And, man, I don't have to worry about motion at all. And it's wonderful. And they're not that heavy either. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so, speaking of the decoys, what what makes your... Because when people think of custom decoys... Around us, uh, there are a lot of guys who carve or shave foam. Um, you know, so what makes your decoys different from most decoys that people are? And I know, but for everybody listening, what makes your decoys different from what most people are doing? Man, my big difference is I'm trying to restore stuff that has sentimental value to people, and. You know, or if it's stuff that give it a second life, because man, I don't know how many times probably any duck hunter has come across like an old bar find and they'll find some of these old decoys that get half eaten by, um, mice or rats or something. And so what I'm just trying to do is just find them and give them the second life and the people who are going to enjoy and use them instead of just sitting in these barns and stuff. So, and that's where. That's the big thing on that now. And also trying to give it back some of that um, heritage that we used to all have, um, especially back where you guys are for the market hunting. Uh, I mean, we didn't have much of that out here in Oklahoma or even back in Colorado, but just the look of it. I mean, you're talking about how you guys got the carvers back there and you're hunting, um, I know I'm going to butcher it, Harvard to Grace. And I'm sitting here looking at bo- blank bodies I bought from, um, Brian Voigt out there in Churchill just so I can carve them and say and go through and see what it's like to carve one of those wooden decoys from the 70s area. I mean, it's just to me, it's a heritage thing, and that's what I try to do with my decoys, just give a little bit of that heritage back and some of the old-style um, paint jobs and all that, you know, you look back at all the old gunning decoys, and that's kind of what I'm doing, is just trying to make them look like that to get the heritage, because you know, AVNX and Dakota, they are great looking decoys, but they don't have, they don't last and they don't even have that heritage behind them because they're just plastic and you're going to have them so many years and they're going to get tossed in a landfill where these ones people might want to hold on and pass down and know that their kids or grandkids are going to get a chance to hunt with them. Yeah, that's, uh, I have it written down here, but I, I mean, most of, well, not most, but probably half the listeners would understand, but you know, the, the difference between show decoys and gunning decoys out here, there are a good bit of show carvers, but I would say per capita, we have more gunning style decoy carvers in throughout history than we do show decoys. Now show decoys because of market hunting. Now show decoys are a really big thing. And I, there are guys who make decoys that I would be afraid to hang in my studio in case of an earthquake. Like I wouldn't want it to fall over. Like the, they're just, they're so nice. And, um, you know, but there's, there is this weird thing where you, you can walk into, I have a show or a, 
a an artsy show type pintail here in the studio. It's not a thousand dollar show decoy, but it's a really nice pintail, and uh, it sits up on the shelf here in the studio, and it's cool. But when you walk into a store like on the eastern shore of Maryland, and you walk into an old antique store, they always have a lot of decoys. And you walk in there and there's like eight show decoys. And then there's four gunner decoys. And two out of those four are priced over $1,000. And there's still pellet holes in them that are rusted. And some people look, like my wife would look at that and be like, why would that be $1,000? That thing's been beat up. But for me... It's like, that's the coolest decoy in here because that rusted pellet that, you know, that's a Madison Mitchell canvas back and the rusted pellet in that may have been shot out of his, uh, muzzle loading 12 gauge or whatever. Like that's why those decoys are now crazy expensive and super sought after in comparison to the show decoys, which people like but they don't get the attention nowadays that those old decoys get. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. I mean, like, I, the show decoys, man, some of this work that these guys are doing that I'll see on Instagram and Facebook, I am like, those things are amazing. And But then you're spending weeks on these decoys. And I'm like, that's been two, three weeks just on the paint job for one decoy where, you know, if you're doing like the market hunting or the gunning decoys, you're turning out a couple dozen decoys every two weeks, depending on how much detail you're putting in on the paint top. Now, and when they're carving, I have no idea how long it takes them on those, on those um, show decoys to carve some of that stuff, um, depending on how much detail they're going into. But it is just absolutely crazy. And they're gorgeous. But then most of them, like you said, you don't even want to take them out and, uh, out and hunt over them if they're even set up for that way. Because some of those, I know they're not even set up that way either. <laughs> yeah, a lot of them are flat bottom now, which it just like this pintail in here, it's made to sit on the shelf. The bottom is cedar and it is flat. And I, it's a really cool decoy. But for me, you know, the reason I have that decoy and not a canvas back sitting right there that's a gunner with a lead weight, you know, pinned nail pin to the bottom of it is because. I can't really hardly afford those style of decoys anymore. Uh, I, I recent my aunt and uncle own a, a um, antique store, and I went in there. They just had bought it last year, and I went in when after they had gotten opened up, and I wanted to just stop in and spend a little money and talk to them. And I bought a couple little things, uh, but man, my you know the guys like, hey, check out all these decoys over here. I know you're a big hunter. And I go over there, I'm looking, and I'm like, I don't even know this who this guy is who made this black duck. And it's obviously, it's a flat bottom, and it's obviously been made like within the last 15 years. Like me looking at it, I'm like, it has zero wear and tear. Um, it it looks fresh. And, you know, it's like $450. And I'm like, uh, I, I don't even know who this person is. It's like, it's pretty, but it's just a black duck, and it could have been painted by someone who did it for a year and then quit and it never be worth any money when it comes to the market, the antique market or the decoy market other than 
it's a black duck and an antique store is going to try to sell it for that much. But for me, when I look at those decoys, I think, eh. But when I see there are, there were a couple old gunners in there. And when I see those old gunners, uh, it's, you know, I, I love bluebills. And when I saw there was a real pretty bluebill in there and it was like $600 or something. And I'm like, this is the decoy that attracts me. It's not that artsy fartsy decoy. It's this decoy that somebody definitely hunted over. Oh yeah. Yeah. Those are so much better, you know? So like with Delta right now, they've been doing a lot of stuff with, um, I think it was Joey jobs and he's been doing decoys and the, the Jobs brothers, their, their dad started all that Charlie and he, He's huge around here. Like he's he's a oh, big yeah. man. Well, what's kind of funny is out here, you get those decoys. We'll get them at the banquet, and yeah, they're freshly painted. But it seems like nobody has a clue who they are. And we're getting those decoys. We can get. We're not getting as much as you would probably get back on these coasts to actually know who he is, because they don't know about the decoy carving and the heritage with it. Yeah, Joey, uh, they're they're from right outside of Havre de Grace. And like Joey Jobs, um, I can't remember, is it George Jobs? I can't remember his brother's name. But um, one of my really good friends who I hunt sometimes with uh, up around Havre de Grace, he, his dad is actually a decoy carver in Delaware. And he is tight with the Jobs guys. And they they go to the the raffle for the blinds and have her to grace every year together at the ducks unlimited events and stuff like that. And they, they talk shop. Um, you can get Job's decoys for one to $200, depending on what you get and the quality, but they do, they kind of, they're very good at it, but they're fast. And so they make gunner style decoys quickly and they do it for like one to $200 a pop. Um, so those D de- that's kind of the price range for those, but if you get their dad's decoys, his original gunners, some of those decoys could go for over a grand. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's absolutely crazy what they go for, but man, they're awesome looking. So, and the gunners, man, like you said, the history and, you know, with ducking, there's so much more history seen tied into it then you look at with deer hunting or elk hunting or turkey hunting when you start looking at some of the stuff because you don't see i don't think people realize how much heritage is in it when they're just talking about it and just looking at it yeah um, yeah, I mean, yeah i no, i, I 100 percent agree with that yeah so it's absolutely crazy and like i said i'm just like I said, just trying to kind of keep a tradition going, especially out here, because in Oklahoma, there are a couple guys who do some painting stuff, not many. And there's one actual carver who works for the wildlife department here, and he's down in southwestern Oklahoma. But outside of that, in the 10 years I've been in Oklahoma, and hence, or in like the last five or six years, I've really been into my own decoy stuff. I've really not heard of any other carvers out here. And I've looked and it's not really, like you said, the, you can get some stuff here and there, but Oklahoma was like not really a, back when that stuff would be in, there really wasn't any carvers out here because, you know, Oklahoma wasn't as old of a state as some of that stuff. And we didn't start really getting a lot of the deaths until these reservoirs got built. And then back in, you know, in the 19, 
I think it was back in the 1930s, G&H started. So everybody bought G&H. Yeah, they're still, and, they're still really relevant to this day too, right? They're still around. Yeah, they're still around and they're um, under new ownership doing a lot of good stuff. But like I said, it was just one of those things. Is they were the decoy you used here in Oklahoma and into Kansas and all that stuff because you could get them easily because they weren't that far to cheap or get mailed into. So, and then, you know, with once Cabela's and Bass Pro and all that stuff came along, I mean, if you're a big decoy maker, you can get in with those guys easily. And that's what they did for a long time. I mean, I'm pretty sure everybody's looked back when we were kids, looked at the Cabela's catalog and had a wish list of everything we wanted on there. Yeah, that uh, that's funny you bring that up because uh, I've thought about that before. The the time frame, it kind of seems like, and obviously plastic decoys aren't going to go anywhere because it's very cheap and easy for, say, AVNX to get everything made in a warehouse in China and have it shipped over here in containers. Um, oh, yeah. You know, it's so cheap that they'll keep doing it. And then they already have the name and the brand, so they'll keep selling uh, over here. And I would, I'd be lying if I said that there, that I haven't bought plastic decoys because I'm not a carver. And so it's easier for me at like my, my mallards, I, my puddle ducks, I always hunt over plastic or, or I always hunt over the best decoys that I have. And I, and I have some nicer decoys, nothing expensive as avian X, but I have some nicer decoys. And when it comes to diver hunting though, I don't even worry about it. And I, back in the day, diver hunting is weird because the Chesapeake Bay is big because of diver hunting. That's why when people think of as a, they don't say Mecca anymore because Chesapeake Bay, because of the weather swings, uh, the Bay does not nearly hold the amount of birds that like the Dakotas hold. And, you know, there's the Kansas when the, when the weather hits right, guys will go to Kansas to kill a lot of geese and, but the Chesapeake Bay used to be, you know, in the 1940s and 50s and when the outlaw gunners were still running, uh, when guys were still going out at nighttime and early morning at dusk and or dawn and trying to kill a hundred canvas backs to ship them to New York and sell them. Um, that is what made the Chesapeake Bay such a sought after area because it, it being such a very large body of water that held so many birds when it got cold up north. Well, now that it doesn't, a lot of that diver hunting has lost its sheen, where a lot of the youth now, when they think duck hunting, they think Sika gear, prodigy boat, uh, three dozen avian X's, and hole shots in Arkansas, because that's that's what you see on social media. And for me, I'm like, no, guys, like once you get over the realization, our mallard hunt, we have a lot of mallards around the wintertime, but the bay is huge. And the majority of the the large packs of birds that you're seeing are diver ducks. And so when, you know, I have guys that love waterfowl hunting and they'll hunt puddle ducks and they go out with us on the upper bay and at 6 30 a.m they see two hundred thousand bluebills and canvasbacks flying down the pipe down the susquehanna river they lose their mind and i'm like this is what when i talk about duck hunting this is what i'm talking about 
I enjoy all of it, but this is what I'm talking about. Oh yeah, man. <clears throat> yeah, like I was, like I was saying earlier, you know, with the one place, man. People talk about all this stuff that they've seen in on social media in Arkansas, Missouri, and all that. And I'm like, but they've never. A lot of the people never have actually experienced it, and everybody's trying to chase that big old tornado mallards that they've seen up there at Habitat Flats and all that stuff. And I'm like, man, there's so much more out there than that. I mean, seeing flocks of green wings just dump in out of nowhere is just, get your heart pumping. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually, like this past year, I went to western Pennsylvania below Pittsburgh to go duck hunting. And everybody, my, my father is the reason I'm an avid hunter in general. My father is a super avid deer hunter, bow hunter, uh, turkey hunter, and I love all of that. But my dad has has gone out with me once or twice. He doesn't understand. It. You would go out and be this cold and maybe kill one bird or two birds, and like it's just a little bit of meat. And and uh, when I told everybody I was going to Western Pennsylvania, which you might not know, but like traveling from my house east. And going toward the bay and going toward the eastern shore, that's where everybody goes. So when I told everybody I was going to the mountains to kill ducks, they were like, what? They get, why would you go there? But that's one really cool thing about duck hunting is when you're on a boat in the dark in the morning and you get out there and you get to watch the sunrise from a new place, uh, even if it's a place you've always hunted, but... I love the water. My whole family does. We, My dad has a big boat. We spend a ton of time on the water. But when I get to go out duck hunting and set those decoys and the sun comes up and you get to see it, just being on that river in Western Pennsylvania and below Lake Erie and like seeing, it wasn't even a good hunting day. Uh, we, we ended up only having like one single opportunity, which we didn't take advantage of. That was on us and whatever. But we went out there and I just, I got to see a new area. I got to have a blast being out there. And that that's, to me, that's what duck hunting is, is mainly about is just the adventure of duck hunting is not at all the adventure of going and sitting in a tree stand on your 200 acre farm hunting deer. Or whatever. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And so like when you're just trying something new, I remember, so I was uh, in my late 20s, and we were going to start hunting the mountains in Colorado. And the first time you're sitting there and you're watching the sun come up over the continental divide, you're just like, you're just sitting there thinking, man, this is a beautiful place to sit next to a lake and try to see the duck. Just to see everything you can see in the mountains. And yeah, I love going around. Like, I haven't got to check out too many states, but like I've got to do some duck hunting in Arizona, um, some great goose hunting up in eastern Wyoming. You'd be surprised how good the goose hunting can be up there. Yeah, that's that that is. Uh, I've never, I've heard, I've talked to a lot of people on here, and I've never heard anybody bring up uh, Wyoming for waterfowl. Oh yeah, well it's funny is because we met a guy. Um, it was actually neighbors to a close family friend, but he ran guided hunts out of Torrington, Wyoming. They are right there on the North Platte River 
um, on the Nebraska border. And in that county, there are more goose pits per capita than there are almost people. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, like every field has one or two goose pits in there. And he was saying the only other states that really have that many goose pits in a county are some of the big goose hunting places back in Ohio. But you would never know it. Like, I would have never thought about Wyoming for Canada goose. You're thinking Wyoming, you're thinking moose, elk, and um, pronghorn. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, my my na- literally share a driveway with him. My neighbor goes out there. He went out a couple of years ago. He has some family out that way. And they go to Wyoming to hunt mule deer and, and pronghorn. Uh, so, I but I guess the Platte River, it isn't. I mean, I guess there's an eastern and a western, but that area in there, like the Platte River, I always hear that brought up uh, when people talk about the Midwest. That's one thing I've never done is I've never even I tr- I flew in a plane to Vegas with work for uh, the Con Expo, the Construction Expo, once, but that was it. Like I've never gone west of West Virginia, so that is um. It's it's crazy to think. Sometimes I hear people bring up it's like I had a guy on at the beginning of the podcast like a couple years ago and the guy lived in Nevada and uh he's like showing me pictures and I'm he's sending me pictures. I'm like that is like the most beautiful duck hunting I've ever seen and in like in a desert in the mountains and in the winter time they're they're just tearing up all kinds of ducks. And I I never even thought about that really cuz you know you just Social media, you see Arkansas. I see a lot of the Eastern Shore over here, um, the Carolinas, Georgia, and then Chesapeake Bay and, and Eider hunting up in Connecticut and, and all that. But never, um, you know, or Massachusetts rather. But you don't really think of the Midwest. Everybody and like the West. Everybody, it's elk hunting, it's mule deer hunting, it's whitetail hunting. And then when people start telling me the amount of birds that they're killing out there and and the amount of different species that they see, I'm like, man, like you guys might have it better than I have it locally where I live at. Oh yeah. Yeah. It can be crazy. And, um, I'm just trying to think of like everything I've seen out, like hunting those Eastern parts or those Western parts of the country, like, um, hunting in Colorado and shooting a cinnamon tail or sitting in this reservoir up in the mountains of um of Arizona. I you're sitting here, it's like, wow, you would never think about this stuff out here. Yeah, it's yeah. Just, it's that's uh it's like I think it was Meat Eater did they had their like little waterfowl series on YouTube and I remember they were in New Mexico and it just like peeled my brain back. I was like, I I didn't even think about of all the states, I would have never ever thought about new mexico that's like the the last one i would have even thought about and here they're down there shooting up a bunch of birds i'm like wow it's uh they're everywhere you know oh yeah yeah definitely man i remember driving through albuquerque just south of albuquerque and the amount of um sandhill cranes i was seeing just along the rio grande out there it's like absolutely crazy yeah, that's I mean, that's one of those birds that everybody, I think, especially around where I live, because they aren't here. It's like speckle bellies too. Everybody is like, I need to go, you know, go out and do that. 
Oh yeah, it's crazy. They've got some places eastern or not eastern, sorry, western Oklahoma. There are some places that have just got a bunch of them and all through their Texas panhandle too. There are just so many of them. But what's funny is west they're all west of I thirty five here in Oklahoma West. You will not see one east of the highway. And I'm talking you could be on either side of the highway and you will not see one flying on the um, east side of the highway. And for whatever reason, because that's their flight path and that's what they stick to. Huh, that's pretty wild. Um, yeah, it blows my mind because it, it even says you can't shoot one on the eastern side of the state. Huh. Yeah, I get, they are very much a creature of habit. That is for sure. Oh, yeah. Um, so around you, like, how do you mainly hunt? Are you, you hunt off a boat or, or how do you hunt? Man, so <laughs> Oklahoma has actually got quite a bit of different things you can do. Um, there are a lot of guys, they hunt ponds um, because there's so many ponds and lakes, like small lakes out here. I guess, no, I guess not really lakes, but ponds and then reservoirs are the two big things for if you're going to hunt the water. And like for me, um, I hunt some of the bigger lakes and we've got a, I've got a boat that's got a mud motor on there so I can get into some of the skinny water and I will hunt that now probably about 50% of the time. And then we've got some ponds here and there and then set up on field for geese. Um, if you can get on a winter wheat field and it's getting used, man, you could have some great geese hunting out here in our limit for geese. Is it seven? Seven or eight right now. I can't remember which one. But we can during the season we can shoot seven a day. Seven or eight a day. I think it's eight. And so and you're seeing big flocks like three, four thousand birds sitting on a field easily. That's a so. that's that's something that around here is I guess it's because it's so popular. I I know it has to do with populations, but We've we've dealt with a one one goose, two mallard, one hen mallard limit for a while on the Atl- in the Atlantic zone, um, Chesapeake Bay and and all that that area around that. Uh, we've dealt with that for a while now, and actually we just heard we might be getting a bird back. It might be might be getting two and four mallards now with two hens, which is that's pretty big for us because there's. There are a lot of mornings where I know guys with that have had family property on the eastern shore of Maryland forever, and they used to be able to kill two or even three birds a person. They would geese, and they would drive down from where I live. So that's a three, two and a half hour drive to where the one folks farm is, and they go all the way down there, set up all those decoys early in the morning, lay out and lay out blinds, or get in the pit. And when the bird limit was one, might be three guys on a hunt, set a hundred decoys, shoot three geese first volley, pack it all up. <laughs> so it's uh it's cool to actually get one back this year. But yeah, that's uh it's it's fortunate that you know you guys have that ability out there. Oh yeah, and uh, I can't remember. We also do get some snow geese through here too. And then during the during the regular season, I mean, you see twenty of those things. Which I don't know. I know there are some guys, some 
that can get into them and do that. But with the amount of birds, you can actually shoot on a duck hunt out here, or if you get into the right field, is just crazy. Um, we did one where earlier the day before we were seeing speckle belly, snow geese, um, Canadians or Canada geese, mallards, pintails, and widgeon in this field, all fielding in one field. And unfortunately, we had a snowstorm hit that next morning, so they didn't really show back up. But just to see all those birds, and we're talking three or four thousand easily in that field. Yeah, that's that's wild. I mean, the the closest thing that I have to that is that day uh, before that huge storm when it got real cold. The day before that, uh, we were in Havre de Grace, and there were blacks, mallards, widgeon, gadwall, um, and then uh, just every diver in the book, every merganser in the book, just everything all around us that day. But you know, we, we don't get that unless we are on big water normally. We don't get anything like that. So, um, But what is your, out there, what is your favorite species of waterfowl to hunt? Like if, you're, if you could only choose one, what's the, what's the species? If I can only choose one, um, you and my wife talked about this earlier, I'd almost have to go with pintail. I love getting a pintail to come in and having it come into the decoy. There's just something about how graceful they look. Um, but they, and just, I don't know, there's something about the way they look, the pintails and all that. And just, because it takes a lot to convince them to get in some days. Yeah, I've always heard that. I just, I'm, we don't, when people will post pictures of them that are hunting the bay, hunting more, it's most, mostly always backwater. Somebody's hunting a backwater spot, uh, in a brackish water marsh or even in like a freshwater tributary. And there'll be pictures online on like the Maryland, uh, duck hunters page and they'll, they'll be, you know, somebody who shot two pintails on a freshwater tributary um, about halfway down the bay. It, they, it might be an hour and a half drive from where we're set up in Haver de Grace. And it when when that happens, everybody's like, man, did you see what, do you see the, those pintails that guy got? Did you see? And so it's a, for us, we don't get to see pintails. That is one of pintails. We really don't get cinnamon teal at all. Um if, like things like that, uh, spoonies. There's there are more than more than pintails, but hardly any. We don't get many of those either. But pintails are the one thing that I I may hunt my entire life on the bay and never get one. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it's um. Well, I've seen them. We've shot them here in Oklahoma. I've shot them in Colorado. I've seen them in Arizona. Um, they were flying high though, and the cinnamons, man, unless you're like west of us, they are definitely hard to figure out. Like I had one of our committee members, he went out and hunted the Colorado River in Arizona to get his cinnamon peel. And, but they are a beautiful bird. And when people do shoot them here in Oklahoma, it's kind of like your pintail. It's a big deal. They definitely talk quite a bit about it. Yeah, for sure. Hey, um, we're about an hour in, so uh, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on social media and uh, check out your decoys? Yeah. 
so yeah, if you, I'm on I'm on Facebook and Instagram, and if you just look up Jutton Gunning Decoys, you'll also be able to find the decoys there and what we've got posted up, and kind of just keep everybody what I'm working on and just little updates here and there about um, mainly what decoys working on and the dogs and all that stuff. Trying to be just a waterfowl hunting page with focusing more on the decoys, but like I said, it's on Facebook and Instagram. Um, are the two main ones and we are slowly working on like a web page case if people don't get on facebook or instagram they should be able to at least pull up the information for now and then we'll have some more updates with that um we're also going to be unfortunately like you said getting so hard to get bodies at this point um we're actually getting some mold so we can at least have more product available if people are wanting to get some decoys and all that but I'm still trying to focus heavily on restoring the old ones. So, all right, man. Well, it was great having you on here. I appreciate it. Uh, everybody, we'll talk to you later. All right, thank you, sir. Yep. I'm bye. Bye.